Good evening and welcome to the live members surgery and of course you might be consuming this surgery as a recording later through Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and our newly launched podcast on all major podcast services including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. My name is Scott Haslam, President of the Leeds Number 1 Amalgamate Branch and I'd be most grateful if you would help us reach as many members as possible by sharing this episode and if you haven't done so please consider subscribing to uh, the Leeds Number 1 and east uh, northeast regional pages on facebook the youtube channels and of course the podcast by searching cbu members surgery so in tonight's show i'm honored to be joined by tony kearns the senior deputy general secretary hi tony and uh, thanks for accepting our invitation so tonight uh, we want to talk about the cbu redesign project the battling and spend by-election the result and what that means the climate crisis and much much more so don't be shy we'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments the surgery is designed to give you that opportunity to help mold the future of the cwu so let's get this session into full flow tony would you like to open up this session and formally introduce yourself and uh, what does this sdgs actually do Good question. Thanks, Scott. Um, so as you said, my name is Tony Cairns. I'm the Senior Dem Deputy General Secretary of the Union, which is a bit of a title, a bit of a mouthful. Um, but as the name implies, um, I'm the Deputy General Secretary, which means um, one of my tasks is to deputise for the General Secretary when he's um, when Dave's not around, be that when he's on leave um, or he's at other uh, meetings or whatever. And of course, unfortunately, when Dave was ill a few years ago, I had to step in and, and, and take up that role. When I'm not doing that, there's a very extensive and busy day job, not least of which is that, you know, currently this union through its membership subscriptions generates an income of about £30 million. Somebody has to monitor that uh, income. Somebody has to set the course of what we're going to do with that money um, in terms of um, investing it into the union, investing it into the members to make sure that this union is fit, if you like, both in a um, administrative way and a representative way to look after its members, um, which means deciding what happens to that £30 million of income. Um, and my role is to sort of set that course, set that budget, and out of that falls a whole heap of responsibilities about se securing the members' money, safeguarding the members' money, so on and so forth, all the processes and procedures that go in place for that, and, you know, the minutiae of you know, running 150 to Broadway, running 150, 160 members of staff, um, and basically making sure that the union gets by on a day-to-day -day basis, I think, is is a simple way to describe that. But, but there you go. That's just a very brief overview. Very brief, but um, I suppose we could be here for the full hour just going through your, your full... Uh... Uh, duty <laughs> description but nevertheless uh, so we have had a good sample there of what, what you do tony um a very integral part of the the general running of the union so um you know in terms of um, moving into some of the areas we're going to discuss then so um cw redesign uh i uh, there were a special conference a couple of years ago and I think we're in October, was it? If a member serves me right, I uh, was one of the few people from our branch that went and uh, was part of that conference. And I actually did a sort of summary of, of what were passed and, and what have you uh, on our YouTube channel, if people want to go and nose it that. But in, in essence, would you like to sort of talk about CW redesign and what, what 
is the purpose of CW redesign and has it sort of changed and molded a little bit over the last two years given different um, effects of, of uh, recent times? Okay, well, where to begin? So when Dave was first elected as general secretary uh, just over six years ago, I um, mean, those of you around at the time will remember, he stood on an agenda um, that the union needed to change, needed to change direction, needed to change course. Um, and then there were a number of, if you like, factors or issues that came into discussion then about well, what do exactly do we mean by that? Um, so redesign really is about um, reshaping the union, both in terms of its outlook and in terms of its structures, primarily um, to do two things. One is to make sure that it is responsive to members' needs, that we're able and um, best equipped to represent our members in the workplace on a day-to-day -day basis because the union is nothing. Um, if it's not able to represent its members. And secondly, of course, with all the pressures um, that we've faced over the years um, to make sure that this union is sustainable on an ongoing basis. And by sustainable, we mean that, you know, I made that reference earlier to the union's income. You know, the union's income um, drops year on year, um, primarily because of, of uh, membership loss. Um, and again, in turn, that's mostly in the two major industries we represent in BT and Royal Mail, even though we represent a number of other industries, um, centres around employer-led activities, if you like, the downsizing of those organisations has a knock-on effect um, to where we are. So, you know, mindful of that and mindful that if nothing happened, um, the union could be, you know, in a precarious position. You know, the redesign project sets out to make sure that, if you like, the assets the union have got, are they being utilised properly on behalf of the members? The structures we got, are they the right structures that we've got in place to make sure that we can represent members in the workplace, that we can communicate properly with members and that members have, if you like, the, the, the best opportunity to input into the union through both the democratic processes of voting for local and national reps, through how they have their say on policy, and through to just engagement processes like this, if you like. And, you know, it's a marvellous initiative to get people involved. Um, it doesn't happen in every single branch. And part of the process is to review what happens in each branch. How are they responding to members' needs? How are they planning for the future? So it's a massive exercise that we've undertaken with a lot of different strands, which has been fine-tuned, as you say, Scott, over the years, um, you know, in a, it, by necessity, really. Once other people's ideas have come into play, we've picked them on some of them, dismissed some of our original ideas. But, you know, it's all designed to make sure that the CW is seen as, a, if you like, the strongest union in the workplace um, and has been for some time. I think that's almost accepted in amongst the trade union movements, but uh, that just doesn't happen by default. And there's no guarantee that will continue to happen unless we have a look at ourselves and, if you like, restructure, refocus and therefore redesign the organisation you know, to make sure that it is sustainable going forward, but it's sustainable for the purpose, and that purpose being to make sure it represents and engages with its members, I think is a sort of expanded overview, if that, if that suits. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds somewhat. So, you know, when people talk about redesigning something, sometimes they go from the ground up, and sometimes they'll say it's from the, the top down. How would you uh, sort of describe the redesign? Is it a bit of both, or...? Um, is it one redesign it from the top down or from the, the bottom up? I think it's I think it's horizontal actually. I think it goes right across the union. Across. Um, yeah. Yeah. Insofar as 
you know, we recently had an online conference um, in April this year, which made changes to the national executive structure, which was to bring more lay members onto the national executive to make sure that we're representative of, if you like, the totality, the demographic and the gender makeup of our membership to make sure that those views are represented at national level through to restructuring and redesign and how our regional processes work, again, to make sure that they're more responsive. And now to engage with branches about, you know, what are, what's their planning for the future? How do they engage with their members? So I'd sort of say, uh, you know, on a, on a structural level, it's right across the union. There, there are, of course, going to be certain things that can only happen at courses, you know, like, you know, uh, the money comes into headquarters, for a better phrase. So setting a course of action for that and changing how we uh, how we deal with the members' money. You know, there are certain things that can only happen at national level. But the idea is that, you know, we want to make this union live for its members more than it ever has done in the past. Um, and there's various ways, various ways of doing that. Um, so that's, if you like, a sort of answer to that question, really. Yeah. Well, I, I do see changes like you've explained already on the executive. Um, I also see, um, you know, changes really with how people are conducting themselves, whether it be branch level or regional level. So particularly in the Northeast, you know, we've got quite a, a mix of people who's getting engaged with uh, the Facebook page. And, you know, I'm helping out there with the, the least live types thing. So it's it's all evolving, um, I think, really from, from that um redesign sort of idea so um in terms of like future proofing um it sort of ties into sort of membership density as well and, and recruiting new members so we were having an hour before weren't we about um you know some being some real opportunities for the for working people um in terms of joining unions we've seen a, a slight change there with uh, an increase uh, across the, the membership uh, of trade unions, but equally within the CWU itself, we're now tapping into new new areas of, of technical expertise, the Utah branch. I just wonder if we could uh, explore that a little bit more. Yeah, so, I mean, as I said earlier, we've seen, you know, we can, all branches, on, and, and you'll, you'll see this in workplaces, we'll have seen a sort of decline in, in the traditional areas of our membership. Um, you know, and if we don't do anything about that, you know, there's a tendency then to sort of slide off the page. We're a long way from that. But, you know, you can't just watch trends and go, well, that's an interesting thing to watch and not do anything about it. It's not a response. You know, my responsibility is not to just sit there and go, oh, well, that's an interesting graph pointing downwards on membership. It's like, well, what are we going to do about that? You know, and there's, there's, there's two angles to that. One is is to sort of revisit and look again uh, our traditional areas of recruitment, for want of a better phrase. Um, you know, those where we are you know, quite strong, Royal Mail, BT, Parcel Force, Santander, POL, those areas, and, and test out whether we need to have a different approach than what we've had in the past. Because, you know, there are still thousands of members in both of those major industries that are not in the union. We need to find a way into tapping into that. But we're also like, not naive enough to to recognise a trend that actually what's really happening here is a, is a downsizing, for want of a better phrase, in, in both of those industries for a variety of reasons. Um, and so we need to look elsewhere. So you're right, you know, the, the, the technical um, allied workers uh, branch, you know, which has grown from nothing to 310 in, in, in a matter of, you know, less than a year. And the potential to grow much further, we sort of made them an autonomous virtual branch, you know, so they can do that. Is, is the type of thing that we're trying to assess now, 
and trying to put if you like dip our toe in the water i think you know to try new things in other areas because whilst you're right about an, an upturn in uh, a noticeable upturn in trade union membership you know across the country there are still large large sectors particularly um in in the private sector um of unorganized workers um and you know there's an op there's opportunities there for us to to look at that and so you know we're exploring things like um like student rates so you know if you take the technical workers the number of students going into universities and colleges um who would have view to getting into the it sector when they become into work well you know we should be tapping into that now um we should be tapping into if you like our families and offering family membership so as we can get that culture of being in a union and what a union is about and what union you can do beyond just the people who work in raw mail premises or bt premises or parcel force premises so yeah there's a wider um look at what we need so we set up dedicated recruitment and organizing committee and team to examine that uh, over the next few months to start putting into place you know definite plans um to grow this membership not just where we where we currently are but also in areas that we've never stepped before and you know it's an exciting projects exciting times you know and all the evidence is still that the major factor in people not joining a union is because they're never asked and so you know we need to find a way of going asking them that's the point so on uh, on the back of that then uh, tony then we, we really should ask if you're not a member of the cdbu then uh, do join the cdbu There's, across the ticker we've got the website link that's www.cwu.org slash join dash us. Um, so you have now formally been asked by not only me, but Tony Kearns as your Deputy General Secretary. So um, the redesign project as well, uh, sort of delve, sort of delve into sort of the assets of, of the union. Now there's different viewpoints on assets. I mean, in, in the context of a company, assets are there to be stripped and then paid to the shareholders. I mean, we don't have shareholders, but we have shareholders is in members. So does that mean we're going to be looking at strapping the assets and then giving money back to the members? Or does that mean we're actually going to be a bit more sensible and pragmatic about it and actually, you know, assess whether or not that's a viable uh, bit of real estate, whether we're getting value from it. Uh, if it's not, then, you know, can we divert that and invest it somewhere else? And what sort of opportunities of it might that bring? So, I mean, quite timely question to be honest with you, Scott, primarily because um, we do have assets. I mean, we had three main assets, which were our headquarters building at 150 of Broadway, um, our education training centre, Arva Scott Lodge, which is in rural Oxfordshire, and what used to be a residential education and training centre. Uh, the Elstead Hotel in Bournemouth, which were legacy issues from the two unions that formed the CWU. But of course, over time, the amount of, if you like, learning we've, classroom-based learning we've had to do is diminished because the size of the union has diminished. Um, and so we don't, didn't need those, don't need those two centres. So we've been involved and engaged in a process where we sold Alva Scott Lodge, um, got the money, got a decent price for it, banked the money. Um, and we're in the process um, of, of of looking at this to do the same with the Elstead Hotel. But that's not just so as we can, you know, get a load of cash in the bank. And I can sit back and look at, you know, a nice balance in a bank account and go, what a job done there. Look at all those zeros um, because we saw those two premises. That's not the idea. The idea is, is that actually when we first bought both of those premises, you know, they were bought on the back of um, 
membership subscriptions. So what we now need to do is reinvest that money in the union um, to make sure that the union is, if you like, fit for purpose in the 21st century. So, you know, that means, you know, are our reps equipped properly? Are our reps trained properly? That means are our IT systems, you know, as good as they can be to support um, reps and support branches in the work they do? Um, and that's really the task that we've got in front of us. And funny enough, we've got a special NEC next week, which is designed to discuss that sort of what we would call an investment strategy. Um, and likewise, you know, we've got that five-story building, one five older Broadway, which I think the consensus of the people who work there on a daily basis is it's too big for our needs. Um, but actually, it's a valuable asset. You just don't want, to, don't want an asset strip, I think, was the comment you made. We don't want to do that. So what we're doing is engaging with companies now to see if we could rent out space at 150 Broadway to other people, um, which will, if you like, boost our income, which, of course, in turn makes the union more sustainable going forward and sort of offsets some of the losses we've seen in terms of membership income. So you're right. The, you know, there's no point in having assets of the union if they don't work for the members of the union. And my task, if you like, is to set um, a project up, which you know I've, I've drafted a document going to the NEC next week, which sort of sets out an investment strategy for the union in a number of key areas, education and training, now, communication, so as you can communicate better um, with our members, our IT infrastructure, our frontline reps, finding a package for our frontline reps that fully equips them and supports them in the delivering on behalf of the members. Um, you know, and that's that's the sort of discussion that we're going to have next week. I mean, um, in terms of some of the uh, reinvestment opportunities, so I mean, I quite like this this concept of, um, in effect, subbing out uh, some of the areas that you know, 150, the Broadway, for example, uh, is very is very apt really because when we're in sort of talks with um, Rommel as a company, for example, we're talking about new markets and growing and utilizing the services that we've got there, and effectively, that's a very similar sort of uh, ideology what we're, we're looking at in terms of this real estate view. Um, but um, in terms of going forward and what sort of investments, we, we were sort of talking about uh, this CW app, for example, um, and that's not necessarily a free thing, is it? It's something that we're going to have to invest in as a, an organisation, as a trade union. Uh, but equally, I know you wanted to sort of like gauge a, a sort of interest from our membership we might be viewing tonight about what other areas you'd like to see us invest in. So uh, what sort of ideas has been bouncing around 150 the Broadway amongst the, the national executive or, or indeed just, just you and Dave, for example, um, and, and see if we can gauge some interest. And then we might be able to pick that up in, in next month when I've got a session with Chris Webb, who deals with specifically in communications as well. Well, funny enough, Kurt, you asked that question. Funny enough, communications is going to be one of the key areas about you know, what do we need to invest in. So you know, you're doing this format here, which is live, um, which people can uh, come on and ask questions. I uh, might pick up on one or two of the points made in the chat box there, if that's okay, in a minute. Um, so, you know, but not, people need training to be able to, to have the confidence to do this. People need to, to feel that they've got the equipment to do it. People need to know how to, if you like, just run a session like this. Not everybody has the skill. Not everyone's got the organizational skills to do it. Your branch is lucky that they've got you, Scott, who's, who's capable of doing that. But not every branch is in the same position. 
which is why what one of the things we're doing is is we've introduced what we're calling like 13 measures um, for branches that we want to sit down with branches and and find out what it is they're doing how they're operating how they're organizing so you know so as we've got if you like a standard and when members join the union they can expect a certain standard um you know from the union to represent them one of the other things and you know there's not a specific but one of the other things is you know, depending on which branch you come from um, and depending on how big that branch is and depending on how much money that branch has got will depend, you know, what piece of equipment that your branch will give you. Do the, the branches give all reps a mobile phone? The branches give all reps a laptop so they can communicate and read agreements and, you know, and, and particularly since the pandemic, take part almost in a virtual world. Um, and I just know that the answer to that is no. Not all reps have the same equipment. Not all reps are trained to the same standard. And so we need to make sure that that's the case because those reps are there to represent workers in the workplace. And if they're not all trained to the same standard, not all equipped to, a, if you like, a, a minimum standard, then some of our members are getting different levels of service, through not through want of effort or will on behalf of those reps. But you're right, the stuff like the app, um, these things need to be developed. You know, technology is not cheap. So, you know, it's those type of things that we're investing in. On the issue of comms, again, it's this is this question. You know, we vacillate between those who will say, you know, I want a copy, a hard copy, printed copy, delivered to my daughter of the union's journal um, so as I can open it and sit down and read it with a cup of tea and a cup of coffee. Um, and I want more of that. Right the way through to the other end of the scale, particularly younger members, we're so used to reading everything and seeing everything on social media, much more used to watching videos as opposed to, instead I say, people of my age, which was always reaching for a, something in print and keeping hold of it for future reference. You know, younger people are much more interested in the video clip and, 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 and that, that sort of access to information. And so like, trying to find that balance, balance in the communication strategy is what we need to do. And now, again, that requires investment. Um, and so they're the sorts of things that, that, we're, uh, that we're looking at. Just, just one of the things... Um, a couple of the questions that have come up, um, well, we didn't get 1.5 million. We got 1.75 million for it. Um, just a small point, but it's just it's just a correct point. Uh, look, uh, you know, was it the envy of every other union? I, I, I don't believe that. Um, but that's just a view. It was an unanimous decision of the executive, actually. And actually, it was discussed at the redesign conference that Scott uh, referred to. We had this discussion, and the, and, and the vote... Um, was overwhelming um, about what we should do with our assets. So, you know, we're here to make sure that we best use the assets. Here's the other thing about Alva Scott Lodge, and I fully understand the attachment that a number of people have to that. But the thing about Alva Scott Lodge is, you know, at any one time in a year, we've probably got four, four and a half thousand reps. Um, if you think about it, if you think about the number of units we've got and how many reps we've got in this country, we've probably got about 4,000 reps minimum. In any one year, the maximum number of individuals who went through Alva Scott Lodge through some training was about 250, 300. You just weren't reaching people. We can reach a lot more people in a different way. Um, I know it's a massive debate, but, you know, that, that's just a fact, and that's what led to that decision. No, I mean, uh, everyone's got a viewpoint, I think, on on Alva Scott as as a, um, a site or the, the idea what it was for. And I think most people uh, will share the same viewpoint that it was a gold top type facility but the question really is was is is the gold top uh appropriate for coming back to what we were talking about in terms of our membership 
our representation structure and the amount of cash flow that we've got to run as an independent trade union and and is there better ways and more effective ways of of running that that uh, similar type of training now i know that hasn't fully been exhausted and you know that'll be developed over the time and perhaps if you know if we're looking at the investment side of stuff then i'm quite confident that we'll end up with uh, something that will be meaningful to to the regions and to uh, our members and reps across the country so but it's it's good actually because it's picking up actually from what dave was saying a few weeks you know as a trade union we we will challenge our officials and, and our members will challenge our officials and and they're there challenging and to be to off to you uh, tony you picked up on it and you, you've answered it so you know that's that's what we are as, as a cwu and i think uh, that's good so in terms of um I think Sadie uh, had, had mentioned something earlier in relation to a sort of little bespoke area that uh, is sort of a tag to you, but you don't strictly necessarily actually deal with it directly because we have a national executive um, elected person, which is now Norman Candy, I believe, for their right retired section. And, and what she asks is also to look after retired members. We pay our dues and still promote membership to uh, the, the new employees, and, and we're utilised more with our time and and actually historically i think a lot of branches did piggyback the retired sections for helping out with certain admin stuff in in um, certainly leeds did anyway um it's been a bit difficult last 12 months with the pandemic and you know i've been to shut down offices and such but to pick up on the retired section that is tagged to you tony um what uh, how important really is that section to the trade union um and and really um how, how do you see it working once the restrictions, uh, you know, relaxed and, and we can sort of move forward a bit, particularly on the back of the 50-year strike and remembering, you know, our history and such? Well, for, I mean, there's a number of there's a number of angles there. First of all, it's always important to remember our history. Um, our history is what brought us to the position we are today. Um, and I think that's vitally important. And I think um, sort of remembering that, or commemorating that with the people who were in the union at the time in the union today was the right thing to do. Um, I think Sadie's right. I think there's the, you know branches should be engaging with their retired members. Um, you know, I think the phrase I hear from from back in my own branches in Liverpool is like, well, we we're the ones with time on our hands. We can come in and help. Um, and you know that branches should in, embrace that. Where do we see it going? This is an interesting thing here. I mean, first of all. Retired membership is is dipping, yeah, we're below thirteen thousand for the first time in the union's history. In some ways, it's not a surprise. Partly because, um, partly because total membership is reducing, yeah. So if total membership is reducing, then the pool that we dip into to recruit retired members from also reduces. The other thing is that, uh, and it's a sort of a change that's come about through, if you like, the not being the sort of normal retirement age where well, back in the day, everyone left at 60, you know, and it was 65, so on and so forth. You sort of knew the day when everyone was going. You don't know that now. And a lot of people are leaving before what they consider to be retirement age. And what we found is, is sort of people who are taking whatever deals on offer from whatever company they work for, leaving in their mid to late 50s. And we say to them, do you want to join a retired member section? They're like, well, you know, their view of what retired looks like is like a load of old people, you know, you know, sitting at home like, doing whatever old people do and they sort of don't class themselves in that bracket because you know they're taking their bits and pieces early and so they tend not to want to join retired so there's two challenges there the first is 
do we need to to re revisit what we're calling that section um, from retired members and set out a stall? And the second thing, particular point you make about Norman Candy being re-elected, is the young workers uh, representatives in this union. We've developed a situation where they're almost like an autonomous body now. You know, so they make their own, they write their own agenda. They, if you like, they follow their own lead. You know, they get together and determine what are the issues that they need to campaign on. And that's the sort of approach we're trying to be or to, want to introduce for the retired members. We've had that in the past where it's been officer led. Um, and, you know, anything the retired members want, they write to the officer or have a meeting with the officer, and the officer does or doesn't carry that out, depending on what that is. And that's been going on for decades. And so we're trying to change that approach, Scott, to sort of try and get that to be more engaging, more hands-on. Um, you know, we've gone from a position where, aside from the financial stuff, they now get a full vote on the executive. So, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to, we're, we're, we're trying to do that. Um, that. That's the sort of approach we're taking. I mean, it's funny, um, John, I think it's John Carson is, will be taking up the NEC lead for, for our young workers and um i've seen him speak at conference uh, he's, he's quite a passionate lad from uh, from the glasgow branch i believe and yeah. i think it'd be quite interesting uh, to actually do a session uh, with john and norman perhaps together so effectively we've got like a yin and yang a young and a and a, an experienced person and you know actually sort of have that debate really looking at the 50-year uh, strike and you know what what similarities they are then to they are now and such and i think that'd be quite an interesting session so you know if people think that would be a good session do let us know in the comments and uh, i'll get in touch with john and uh, norman and see if we can sort arrange arrange one of these surgeries for for them so um in terms of uh, moving on to uh, the hot topic that was batley and spen um that's a constituency in our branch in in leeds um and it was it was triggered really by tracy braben being coming a, a metro mayor for west yorkshire first female metro mayor in the country um a significant win really i, I felt for tony uh for tony for, for labor rather not for you <laughs> um and uh, it was a very tight by-election, no less. And funny enough, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, when we had Dave on and um, asked him to call the election. Now, he felt initially that maybe Labour were going to lose that one. And then he saw what were happening on, on the ground. And I think we really need to give recognition to the North East region, John Woodhouse and the team that went out and did some canvassing, door knocking and everything else, because clearly that had a significant effect on the outcome. There may well have been some other reasons and factors that could have come in with uh, Hancock Gate, but um, and and obviously the anomaly which was uh, George Galloway. So what happened was uh, Labour managed to win and retain that by a matter of three hundred and twenty-three votes. Absolutely. So, so you know what's what's your sort of take on how that election evolved, Tony? Okay, um, so. Well, first of all, congratulations today for having the foresight to call it close when everyone else was on the um, on the line that it was going to be another Hartlepool type disaster. So, fair play today for that. Um, I mean, what's my take on it? Was well, let me sort of semi-official union version is look, 
one not electing a Tory MP as far as CW is concerned is good. Um, there's no getting away from that. Um, so therefore, you know, if that's one more Labour MP or one existing Labour MP seat remains in Labour hands, that's a good thing. Let's be clear on that. Um, there's no doubt in that. Uh, the battle and spend by election, it's always difficult, I think, to judge the results of single by elections, you know, as, as like a, a barometer and indicator of, I feel like, long term or wider term trends, primarily because for some reason that, you know, by-elections are triggered for different reasons. Um, and this one came with some, you know, some tragic and, and for want to say, emotional background, given the, the candidates who stood this time and you know, the relationship to, you know, to, to, the, to, to the MP that was murdered. And, and, and you can't ignore that. Um, and and I, so where, do, where does it sit? Oh, well, look, there's any number of takes on this. First of all, Labour won. Yeah? In a first-past-the-post electoral system, Labour won. Um, and that's all that matters in, in that way. It's a straight fight and Labour won, and that can only be a good thing. Um, and then you can have different takes. You can have to take that, or the last two general elections, the Green Party got over 600 and over 900 votes and didn't stand this time. So if they'd have just turned up and done their usual, Labour wouldn't have won. Um, that's a debate. Then there's the debate around, well, how big was the Matt Hancock um, issue? Um and that's anecdotal. People on the doorstep will have a view that it was or it wasn't, so on and so forth. Um, Galloway, you know, I keep it clean about my, my personal opinions of George Galloway. Not that it really matters in a wider context, but, you know, Galloway is there. I, I don't think it's a, it's a helpful intervention in politics in, in, in you know, in the 21st century. I don't. I, I, my take on it is it's divisive um, and doesn't help the, the wider debate about um you know what if you like for one of a better phrase our members need in terms of politics and what our members need in terms of politics and brings us back to the substantive point is a political party that represents their interests on a regular basis and i have to say we don't look as anywhere near as close to that today as we did uh, in 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 the not too recent past um and i think that's a shame but you know our position is clear you know, we've got a firm agenda about changing the world of work. We've got a new agenda about making sure that workers get a proper deal um, going forward. You know, and our task, both at lo national level and local level, is to, you know, put the pressure on the party through electing the right people into the right places in the party, through going to the right policy forums, to going to party conference and making that argument. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was a bad take, if I'm being honest. To come out of that and make the statement that Labour is back, you know, Labour's vote was seven and a half percent down, and I don't think that's something to to shout about. But again, I go back to my original point: it was a first past the post election, and Labour won. Um, but I think there's lessons to be learned all around there, um, particularly about to do it in a goldfish bowl because that election was, if you like, the full weight of, if you like, I say this, you know, the Westminster bubble media not understanding, um, if you like, you know. They present this picture of the so-called Red Wall and so-called Northern Towns. You can tell by my accents, I'm not from London. The so-called Northern Towns is as this like monolith that everybody thinks the same way, everyone acts the same way. And I think it's disrespectful. And I think the Labour Party is in danger of falling into that trap as well. Um, and it needs to get out of it quick. Otherwise, the, the gains that it's going to need to make back in that so-called Red Wall, a phrase I don't like using, but it's what everyone recognises, um, you know, that, that's not going to happen um, unless they start understanding 
that there are particular circumstances here. And until they offer something for the people they're trying to, to, to win back, particularly if you allow the traditional working class vote. Yeah, thanks uh, for that, Tony. I mean, particularly my viewpoint from what I would be described as in that red wall. Uh, still, I'm in a, a red uh, constituent at Hemsworth. John Trickett is, is my MP. And um, my sort of observations really is uh, whether you actually agreed with, with Jeremy Corbyn and that era, um, what you can't can't disagree with is what happened with the Labour Party membership and them demographics. And what what we've seen really, isn't it, is that some of the uh, demographics that joined Labour are now floating away for a, probably a few reasons. Um, I, I personally think that in in um, the North anyway, and Yorkshire and Lancashire, I think what you're seeing is, is people jump into candidates that represent their localities. So people that are actually from Yorkshire, standing in Yorkshire, people's, and I think that probably had a factor up in Hartlepool that they move someone from a different constituency into that constituency to, to stand. And I think that were a mistake. Um, they didn't make the same mistake with Kim Ledbetter, but there was issues, uh, I suppose, um, they went for the, the, um, I suppose a compassionate link with uh, a sister, I think, which again, I think were a bit of a, a coward's way out really. Um, so I, I always think that there's, there's those people in labor, which came to labor and they may be turning to maybe the greens and you sort of alluded to that really, that maybe the greens withheld so labor could get in. Um, you know, there's viewpoint in Chesham that that's what happened with labor and the liberal Democrats that, you know, out of 600, CLP members in that constituency, um, we would presume all 600 voted plus 23 people. So, you know, that, that would suggest there was some tactical voting going off there. And um, I, I just think that Labour are, are missing and becoming, I think to quote Dave, irrelevant in some regards because they don't know what they stand for, which is unfortunate. I need to go back to basics. Um, but is there any other comments you, you know, you want to dwell, dwell on, on on that one? Oh, or expand on I think you're right there about, if you look at the age demographics now of, I mean, I'm just talking about opinion polls, which, which some people can dismiss, but they're not, you know, to the nth degree accurate, but they're, they're a fair indicator um, of, 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 you know, of of where the people stand currently. And, uh, you know, the number of young people who voted for the Labour Party in 2017 and to a lesser extent in 2019, who, who now don't express an interest in voting for the Labour Party and in the recent by-election didn't vote for the Labour Party is alarming. Um, you know, because what it shows in the age demographic is, is actually as people get older, they shift to the right. The generalisation, it doesn't apply to everybody, but, 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 but that's what the demographics are showing. So, of course, in an ageing population, if Labour's not capturing the young vote now, its chances of electoral success in three, four, five years' time are really in jeopardy. And, and you know, on Dave's point about it doesn't represent our interest, but our task here, of course, is to do what we can to make sure it does. Um, and as I say, that is us taking policies to Labour Party conference, getting people onto into CLPs and positions, getting people as councillors so they can make a difference in their community. You're right about the choice of the candidate. You know, I. 
not really expressing a view on that, but you know, it was clearly wrong in Hartlepool, and it's been clearly wrong in some elections elsewhere. As the point, you actually, you just said John Stricker, and I know John. I mean, it's the thing that the, the, the if Labour's vote loss in Batley and Spen is, re is replicated there, John Stricker's not an MP. I mean, and, and John Stricker's not the only one, by the way. Um, so Labour's got a problem, and that's why I say coming out of that and saying Labour is back. Well, actually, if you applied that seven percent loss to a whole number of other seats in that area. Labour ends up with less MPs than it's currently got. And so, and, and, and we're back to that point about setting out a vision. That vision's got to be, um, you know, that vision's got to be placing a deal for, for those people that want it to vote for it. And we're arguing there has to be a new deal for workers. They have to support workers, you know, who are bearing the brunt and, you know, and are going to bear the brunt, if you like, of the, the cost of the pandemic. There's a whole economic argument about why the government's analysis on that is false, but, but it's going to get spun. And that's where the attacks are going to come because that's what the Tories do. And of course, Chris Pollock's point um, about <laughs> about keeping your social distance from co-workers is a very good point, very well made, and one I agree with. <laughs> there you go. We won't put it on screen though, Chris. But if you are on Facebook, then it'll be there on the feed, um, just just in case we don't get criticised there. But um, so yeah, um, AJ saying hi. There we go. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be some it's going to be some challenging times for for Labour going forward, and I think uh, this this idea, of what do we do now before a general election, and the CDB sort of policy that Dave touched on a couple of weeks ago is, uh, we don't need to sit back and wait for a Labour government. We're going to have to act now. So we need to come together with other trade unions, get those deals, uh, such as the New Deal for for workers and uh, look at work with other organisations. Sport came up, and uh, you and I was chatted the other day, didn't we? And, and sort of sport came into about getting into, uh, uh, trying to portray the CWU as actually, not, not trying, but actually portraying the CWU, as in not just um, a union that goes on strike because of its industrial strength, but actually it's something that does some good for the communities by getting involved with family football teams and um lo local aspects there food banks was a, a strong topic um which really has been born out of the current uh government sort of regime for the last 10 years um isn't that right then tony absolutely man I, you know I, I can recall going to my own branch speaking of my, my own branch x branch in liverpool some years ago and we have a discussion about you know well, who's going to give us support when when we've got our backs at all and I went, well, you can't just automatically, or you can't just automatically like expect that. So, you know, if there's like a library getting closed and, and there's people campaigning to keep it open, the union should be going down there and going, that's a public resource. We want to keep that open. We should be standing next to those other groups who, if you like, who are lose, losing their resources. Sure, start centers, you know, local NHS walking centers, as I say, libraries, that's when those things are going and campaigns are being run at the trade union and our trade union should go, but this is where our members live. They live in these communities. Their lives are going to not be better or even made worse by some of the actions that are taking place in their communities. And rather than just saying, you know, well, we're only, we're only interested in those things that happen nine to five. Yes. And if you're like the nine to five, the shift work and stuff is our bread and butter. That's what we're here to do. But then we can't ignore like that when our members step outside, the social services that are on offer to them, the support mechanisms that exist in the community, the community itself is where they live, you know, and and exist. 
and things that affect the community affect our members. We should be reaching out and doing that. And so we got to the position on that, that my old branch, you know, runs practically runs food donations. Um, an arm of its branch runs food donations. It, it, it helps kids out at Christmas, sponsors grassroots football, it sponsors um, local rugby league with some of its money. To say to the community, you know, we're, we're not just that postal workers who go on strike when there's, when there's a big issue. We're also part of this community and we deal with that. And I think we need to develop that concept more. Um, and, and in doing that then, you are also then reaching out to other workers and saying, well, what else does this union do apart from coming to support us? Yeah, well, where about a new deal for workers? Where about this union and, and, and our communities being better treated and getting a better deal? And that's how you start to get your message across. And I think that's vitally important. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a, there's a few comments there. Cleveland and Mal agreeing with you entirely there. Same. Uh, and actually, said he'd come up with a valid point there about um, women's refugees, where the government's put in, into the Queen's Yacht, which just seems to go against the grain with what, what's what's happening in the community. So, you're absolutely right there. So, um, we're going to move on to, I think, the, the climate crisis. But just briefly before we, we do, um, have you got any insight... Um, presume this is coming from either Joanne or John in the region, but um, about discussion about the COVID terms and getting back to physical meetings and trainings uh, and the sort of process there. Because, you know, it's, it, although these online formats are useful and, and have been uh, ne necessary over the last 12 months, I think there is a, a keen view, particularly when you see likes of the executive going to our Birmingham premises, for example, or meeting up in Liverpool. So, have you got any uh, a quick quick insight there of where a, a document may or may not be coming forward? And a simple answer is yes, we're reviewing that like, almost as we speak. Um, I've got meetings over the next few days. Over our HR people, but you know, I've had to use a one five out of Broadway, which isn't which is a place of work for staff first and foremost, and it has to be safe for staff. But a number of reps, including the Northeast Regional Secretary, come down and and, and go there for meetings. So it, it it is a we are looking at that, but. I mean, we've got a dilemma here. On the one hand, you know, the government's been universally slammed for its, you know, its pronouncements that on the 19th of July, the world goes back to normal when there's a Delta violent running riot through the population um, and all the problems that uh, that brings, you know. But, but, and, and, but we need to avoid that trap of, of, of going, well, you know, well, for the CW, everything goes back to normal on the 19th of July because because there's a risk there and we have to analyze those risks about getting people from different parts of the country back into a room that's not to say we're not going to do it we're looking at it we've booked a venue for a physical conference next year um you know and, and we'll be shortly uh, advertising that it'll be in a month that won't surprise you at a venue that won't surprise you i'll say no more than that but it's just um that's, that's just what we're able to do so yes we are looking at that he says Excellent. Thank you for, for that. I mean, yeah, it's just apt, really. You just talked about restrictions on on COVID. I mean, particularly when I did the, the session I was telling you the other day, Tony, that uh, I didn't feel particularly great when I worked with, um, did the session for, for Dave. And uh, as it happened the next day, I had to do a test and I came out positive. So I did that under, uh, well, it being uh, unwell, really, with COVID. So... And it's quite possibly with the Delta variant. So, uh, yeah, but we're all, all fitting well now, which is good. So, um, in terms of um, the climate crisis, 
So it's something uh, and a subject matter that you're particularly passionate about, um, Tony. And to be fair, I think more and more people are getting on board with this um, this, this issue, really, um, because they're actually seeing it now day to day or sort of year on year, you know, uh, in terms of like uh, breaking records, like worse floods and extreme weather and, and everything else. But, um, you know, do you want to sort of bring from your perspective and why you're so passionate around it and, and maybe how how that's linking in with our members um well actually that the point is 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 to make it live for our members insofar as um there is there is a a, a climate crisis it, you know i think there is I, i'm i'm saying as a statement of fact there will be people who don't agree with that um but i'm starting from a position that uh, all the scientific evidence um shows that it is and if you look at the major organizations who are behind, fu uh, behind funding the research that that comes to the conclusion that it isn't or it's not as bad as it it's you know like all these things it's follow the money um you know and the money goes back to people like the hawk brothers in in america uh the now these things go back to if you like predominantly right-wing think tanks in america predominantly backed by the fossil fuel industry there's no getting away from that now the problem we've got of course is we've developed a way of living that is heavily reliant on fossil fuels and there is no switch we're going to flick bad, bad metaphor there given the use of electricity there's no switch that we're going to flick that suddenly ceases that or stops that overnight i mean i'm not naive enough to believe that there are some people in the environmental movements who believe that i think they're wrong um but what we need to do um it, it in terms of building a movement that understands this is one to sh you know is to start explaining in sort of very simple terms what is happening with the climate and why that affects you know our members both in a general sense and in, in an individual sense you know that are going is is my prediction it's a prediction based on as you say i i have a, you know i've been on um climate camps i've been on climate demonstrations i've been doing this for a long time it's it is just one of the political things that I, that that I, that I believe in or involved in but you know in the longer term like the air we breathe is going to become more poisonous in the longer term there's going to be less fresh water on this planet there are already in large parts of the world major crop failings that are going to lead to huge food food shortages um and actually you know the sort of recent events we've seen in terms of wars for oil as they were called you know and conflicts over over that type of territory i think will shift they will shift into if you like battles for resource you've already seen Kamala Harris, the Vice President of the United States, talking about water supply um, on the on the east coast of America. Water supply in San Francisco, California, um, is is not um, as good as it used to be. Water supply in parts of Australia is drying up. Australia is becoming a bigger, bigger desert than it already is, and these are going to have impacts upon the food supply chain, and, and which will affect jobs which will affect you know how people live their lives will affect the availability of food and we need to sort of get this into a place where our members understand this on a general level an individual level but also understand what they can do um, about changing that the funny thing is one of the reasons that labor's vote um, amongst youngster people is dropping off there's a clear pattern that it is shifting to the green party now I, whilst i might be what some people call an environmentalist i'm not a fan of the green party I don't believe it's an organization that is going to engage with or represent the working class in any meaningful way and i wouldn't advocate supporting them 
but young people not steeped in trade union if you like involvement not steeped in the sort of party politics that we grew up with even if you weren't involved it was always in the background don't see the labor party as being the answer to that they see the green party yeah and there's a there's a mindset there that if you like the trade union movement's not tapping into um, and i'm not talking about the generalization of like tree huggers and you know the, the, the way people go on about that and you know digging a tunnel and, and living down it for 30 days um that's not what i'm talking about so i'm talking about we have to make this live and it's little practical things like um you take postal workers who deliver to every single address in this country they're walking up and down the streets where the quality of air is getting worse and worse and, they, and they're going to suffer in the longer term from respiratory problems because of the co2 emissions that are in the atmosphere same for our open reach workers who are out fixing your green box on the corner or putting up a telegraph pole they're, they're affected by this our members are going to be affected by it on a day-to-day -day, day-to-day basis and it's 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 how we develop that narrative and make it live for our members that's going to be the challenge but you know i'm convinced that's the challenge we're going to have to meet it's uh, it's uh, quite that point that you uh, you mentioned about postal workers and the bt engineers and that so working out on the streets because i mean funny enough you see more of those people in the cities because of the densities so the jobs justify more people so you get more of our workers then in those congested areas um but equally then we've got to get i mean if you take romel as as a organization and a company and the nature of the job that they do they have to move the products to deliver into those regions and how that's done is essentially on trucks which is diesel powered now i know we as a cw and and the business are engaged together on on developing the new newer greener sort of ideas which is why the the putting on the uh, like gas type uh, trucks some of them was up in the northwest area but the infrastructure isn't quite fit and proper for that so that sort of area is really is a wider political kind of um campaigning that i suppose we we should be doing as as a trade union indeed i think we are um so you know um i suppose we can draw likenesses where we're talking about postal workers on the street breathing poor quality air and miners that were down in the pits and um end up suffering with copd uh white finger and, and all the other sort of industrial injuries and uh, i don't think that's talked about enough really, with the, the quality of the air uh, and such so um but what scott if i could just come in on that absolutely i mean what i mean it's one of the things we need to do like, and it, it, it's partly industrial you can get monitors you can very cheap monitors that you can buy you can wear so a delivery postal person can put it on their bag uh, when they go out which measure the quality of the air that they're breathing in just so as we can start to assess you know and get some information on like is the problem as bad as it's being reported is it not as bad as we're being reported is it your point is it worse in like inner city leads than it is say in 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 the more urban areas and start to find out you know and then the, you, you, and from that falls out well you know is it right to be exposed to that air for one hour, two hours, three hours? It's a bit like being out in the sun. I see the comment they've said about, about the sun. Yeah. It's like being out in the sun per se is not bad for you. Yeah. But not having a top on and sitting out in 30 degree for six hours is definitely bad for you. So you get that thing where you go, well, you know, the weather forecasts go, you know, 
only stay out for 25 minutes at a time and then have a rest. We need to sort of do this stuff for that air quality. It's just like, you know, if our job is to deliver letters through doors, yeah, the end product, you're right. Then people are going to have to walk up and down streets to do that, yeah? But what is the effect of them walking up and down streets on their health? We need to start, and, and you can buy these monitors that you just clip on, yeah? So as you're walking around, it's measuring that air. And then you go, look, if I'm doing this delivery, yeah, in a semi-urban, semi-rural area, yeah, I'm only breathing in so many um, milligrams, you know, per thousand per hour. Which if I do that walk there, I'm getting poisoned after being out half an hour. How do we deal with that? Yeah, how? Why can we expose that individual to dangerous levels of breathing CO2, whereas that individual doing the same job but in a different area isn't? And these are practical things we can do, which would then lead to those discussions. It's it's an interesting sort of idea, really, and not something I thought about too much. But um, one of the comments in the previous surgery was um, uh, to to have Dave Joyce on as a surgery. So actually, that sort of ties into his remit as well, and that that could be quite a good um, post to to Dave and and maybe um, sort of a project he could work with his area safety reps and and sort of try and gather some data on that. I think that'd be quite an interesting, useful um uh, aspect so uh we've been on a about 57 nearly 58 minutes um i just will have a quick look on the question list or the chat list see if there's any other comments uh blah, 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 blah. there you go there's uh said he's made another comment around uh battle for five years with some cream and water never happened end up collapsing around Rome will get rid of quick enough uh, as a rep. so you know they're they're uh, things that need challenging absolutely uh, so shows you the size of the challenge we face just very quickly yeah. aj's point about covid he's right you know covid restrictions will be different in scotland wales and northern ireland and we represent all four corners of the uk so suddenly saying everyone can come to a meeting well the welsh government might say aj can't come to that meeting um and they are things we do have to consider aj we're live to that excellent so uh that's um I think that we'll call that a wrap then, Tony. If, if um, unless there's any other comments you'd like to make before we do, uh, no, other than other than thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Um, thanks for the questions, even the ones I didn't agree with. Um, so you know, but that's that's the nature of this job. I'm, I'm as you know, Scott. We'll take it head on. I'm not, you know, not not there to to, to just deal with the easy stuff. And if I don't agree, I'll tell you I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yes it's instead of finalizing it off we, we've got a mass of topics some uh, sexier than others i think would be polite to say tony but all relevant to cw members and uh, our membership so tony thank you for joining the surgery uh again the invitation is open it'd be fantastic to have you on again in the future Definitely. uh but um you know if you've enjoyed the surgery do give it a like do leave us a comment even if you're viewing it afterwards and do share it with your friends on social media so remember unity is strength thanks for watching <laughs>